Hi, Chris Fallon here. Thanks for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so excited about my new show, Cultural Catalyst, where we help you to learn how to live fully alive, co-labor with God, and change the world. You can watch it weekly on my YouTube channel or listen to it here. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Cultural Catalyst, where we teach you how to be fully alive, how to co-labor with God and change the world. It's a bummer I have to look at the notes to say that. <laughs> I've said it so many times. But, but And today I have Libby Gordon with me. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Chris. I'm so happy to be here. And Libby is on our team. She's one of our, I think, what is your actual title this, right now? Um, Do you have a, a title? manager in BSSM online. Online. Mm-hmm. And you're from South Africa. Yes. That's your accent right there. Indeed. And you're married to Richard Gordon, uh-huh. who's amazing guy yeah. you may have seen him he's the guy on our team with the dreads mm-hmm. so you're like the the Easily. ultimate and cool yes yes the two of you are like i tried so cool i tried so cool thanks chris so you have you came here for school ministry right i did mm-hmm. we uh we last week we interviewed chris cruz mm-hmm. and he came here for school ministry and found his woman but you guys wow. were married before i was here. set up already yes yes you, and you have kids i have two Two kids. Mm-hmm. Well, how old are your kids? Um, Moses is nearly three, and then Ella Rose is seven months. Wow. She's adorable. She just started saying mama yesterday. You just mm-hmm. had another kid. That I was, did. Wow, a beautiful. Yeah. And you're working. I am. You're a working mom. Yes, I am. And you're a Christian. I am a you're radical Christian. Christian. Christian <laughs> radical Christian working mom. That's it. That's and a good you're description. And you're a leader. Yeah. Whew, you're breaking every religious mold there is. Thank you, Chris. I yes. try. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so tell us about your journey. Mm-hmm. You have a wonderful story. Uh, your your South African story is yeah. just beautiful. Oh, tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, so actually I was born in Louisiana. Yes, surprise. I, I mean, you knew that maybe a long time ago. I did not know ago. that. Okay, well, yes. you probably told me, but I yeah, did not yeah. remember that. Yes, no. And but are, so are you an American citizen because of that? Indeed, yes. So I was in wow. the States. I did. This is breaking news on your that, podcast. I knew that, I did not remember that. Okay, no, that's okay. fine. Well, I mean, you don't accent. sound like someone from Louisiana. From the South, no, yeah. not at all. And I won't even try to because I'll dishonor <laughs> my Southern roots. Um, so from zero to seven, yeah, I, I grew up seven until about seven years old in the States. Both my parents are South African, so my dad got a scholarship to study law at Tulane University. So that's where I appeared. Got it. Yeah. So they were there. Your parents were messing around. Yeah. In the states, pre-immigration or maybe post-immigration, <laughs> we don't know. Depending okay. on how you yeah. how you look at it. Yes. But you were born here. Uh huh. My brother too. He's actually part of the U.S. military, so we both moved back later in our adult years to wow. the states. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, about seven years old, moved across. Um, my mom moved my brother and I across to South Africa. And because of some tension that was happening in their relationship, she brought my brother and I back to South Africa. My grandfather had just suffered a heart attack. Thankfully, he survived that and lived amazing few years. Uh, but she brought us back. And, and I think once she was with friends and family, she felt that that would be 
a time where she had some courage to say there's some things happening in our relationship that I think need a change and I'm going to stay here in South Africa with, with the kids. Mm-hmm. So she communicated that with my dad. So from about maybe seven till about 14, I must have lived in, a, in I think we counted maybe 16 different houses in between grandparents. My dad ended up leaving the States and coming back to South Africa to see if they could restore the relationship and so moved around a lot. Did they restore their relationship? Um, They did short term Chris but um, a couple years ago they finally filed for divorce but they were separated probably once a year from when I was seven till you know 32 years of marriage. So so not not a great you didn't grow up I mean it wasn't it wasn't consistent and stable yeah yeah and from a young age, and were they were they quote Christians? No, 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 no. no. Okay, Just nominally, it. so I was raised in nominally Catholic home. Got it. Yeah. So did a few of uh, first Holy Communion oh, and wow. those things. That's mm-hmm. where it's all that joy is coming from. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Got and it. then, um, but from a young age, I had a, a father figure lead in my life from when I was young who was sexually abusing me, and so my close friends knew, and then only later in my life. Was that, you mean your dad? Was no. That, oh, no, I no, see no. someone else. Yes, yes, Got it. yeah. Got it. And then just even for their journey and their family, I don't name or. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah I got it. So um, around there, mixed with breakups and was makeups. That, was that and in, into your teen years? Your, no, your, your, I, um, maybe just before I was 10 years old, that stopped. Um, I'd say by then, I was already really, really broken. And in a lot of pain, had a big struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts at a really, really young age. Wow. I think mixed with the stress within the home and and abuse outside of that, I um, uh, learned really well how to present that I was functioning and everything was okay. Um, But... Inside, I, I really struggled deeply. I still have a letter that I wrote God. I wasn't a believer, but I was just crying out for hope when I was young. And I would pray to God that he would take away suicidal thoughts and wow. that I would feel happy. I mean, that's, you know, kind of the, the child's the version of hope or yeah. peace. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was a lot of darkness and pain going on. Mm-hmm. How long, what, when did you find the Lord? Um, when I was about 13, yeah. 13 years old, I had met a Christian in my school, um, and she was happy all the time. And instead of being intrigued, I was really offended because my mom had taken me to church as a young girl just a few times yeah. and uh, to fix our family. Yeah. And with the purest of heart, she had sat me down and said, we're going to stop going to church because God helps some people but not others. And she sat me down and said, wow. you know, you and I, we're going to get through this together and we're going to be brave, but God's not going to help us this time. Just because she, you know, she had not been discipled or, or taught how to wow. walk through that and her, that was her doing the best she could with me. And she would teach me, you know, how to breathe well so that I could control my tears so that I wouldn't ruffle any feathers in my home. Or So she just really wanted me to succeed but didn't know how to get out of the toxicity that was going on um, out of the home. So I had a lot of anxiety and, and stress as a young child, for sure. So you found the Lord when you were 13. Mm-hmm. 13, w- yeah. Was Did you have a radical encounter? Or? So radical, Chris. I think from abuse, it definitely opened the sea realm to me. Yeah. So I always had 
an awareness of the spiritual realm. My brother definitely did too, but we didn't really know what to do with it. And when I was in a youth group, was standing at the back, watching all the happy, clappy people <laughs> sing these songs. The and happy, clappy people. You know, from abuse, I was assessing yeah. the room. It yeah. was a subconscious thing I'd always do, work out who I thought was safe and who I should avoid. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's like an automatic response. And um, all of a sudden, I felt this presence at the time I called it this feeling of goodness around me yeah. it was clearly the Holy Spirit but I didn't know who he was yeah and I felt this feeling of goodness around me and as I felt that I started getting flashbacks and memories of times where I had shoplifted or we always used to kind of break into our cinema when I was younger I'd you know cast out God and would blaspheme and just a lot of pain going on and I'd worked really hard or or being trained intentionally or unintentionally to think that my life was good. And if I thought my life was good, then I could make it. And so I had all these thoughts flooding me. And I mean, I must have looked like I was on narcotics because I ran out of the room and I just was making deals with God, trying to pull this feeling of goodness off of me. And I thought, you know, nominally Catholic, terrible theology, not because of Catholicism, because yeah. of my limited understanding, yeah. that God was a fault-finding father. And I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. I'd walked into his territory, the church. I must have come up on his radar, and I oh, knew I was I bad. I walked into God's territory. You know, I mean, the world is. But at yeah. that time, I thought, oh, God only has, you know, he's in control of the church. Maybe better than some Christians today. But at that time, I really thought God was going to kill me. I knew I had done wrong. I was convicted of But even sin. with this goodness on you. Yeah, because like, the goodness wasn't going inside of me. It was around me. And was, I knew there's darkness happening, you know. Inside. In so there's a big contrast when mm-hmm. the goodness uh, of the Lord was mm-hmm. on you. There's a big contrast between what was in you. Absolutely. And then that what Huge. was in you started to war with what was uh-huh. what was what was tr- wooing mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And wow. so I was beside myself. I thought maybe a lightning bolt's going to come out and genuinely um kind of take me out or or um yeah, I'd made a mistake and uh one of the youth pastor's wives came out and she laughed at me, but not in a mocking way. She, I think I could mm. see in her eyes she knew what was happening. Yeah. I still was a little bit rough, so or maybe had inner anger. So I remember I took her by the collar of her shirt and I said, you don't understand. God is going to kill me. I'm a, I made, I didn't say I'm a sinner because I didn't have that, those words, but I said, I've done so much wrong and God is here. He's real. He's around me. And I was just streaming with tears. And so she sat me down and I washed, you know, my face with cold water and she began to explain the gospel to me. And I grew up with such performance, whether it's from sexual abuse or just needing to feel stable and needing to control things at a young age. It was radical for me to understand Jesus was showing me my wrongdoing because he wanted to protect me. And he wanted me to know that he wanted to take that away and free me. And I I wasn't doing well for him. It was I was so aware of wow. the darkness. And so that was really radical for me, Chris, because I never felt unconditional love. And so wow. from there, yeah, long story short, just a real radical. So you church. were around 13 when that yeah. happened. Mm-hmm. And then did you actually make a commitment to the Lord? Yes. Then? So she brought me back in and they were doing the altar call at the yeah. end of youth. 
and we had to come forward to the altar, you know. Yeah. And then so I remember checking with her, you know, if I'm going to the altar, yeah. are you sure I'm not going to die? Yeah. Are you sure God's not going to take me out? And she came with me. She held my hand. She came to the front to show me I'd be safe. I remember praying the sinner's prayer and all this goodness that I could see in the spirit and I could feel, I mean, I'll even tear up now, just was breaking in. I remember seeing this light start to fill my mind and my eyes and my heart, just all the pain from abuse and just spilling out. And I could, I literally could see it taking place. And I remember just for the next three days, just crying. You know, I I think I even lied to my parents because I didn't know how to explain it. And I told them I had a migraine because I couldn't stop crying and I I didn't know how to, it was joyful tears. But, um, I got a few days off school for that, but I just was, I I needed to get a Bible. I needed to find out more. It was the unconditional love of God that really rocked me. How long between that encounter you had Mm -hmm. and you started to feel healthy? Yeah. I'm sure that wasn't like a moment. I'm sure it was like a journey. No, I'd say made up of so many moments. Deliverance for sure counseling, confession of sin, to break cycles. I had definitely addictions to um, masturbation and pornography, even as a young woman, not wow. wanting that, but it, it, I was just exposed to pornography yeah. at such a young age. And, um, I, and I used to cuss out quite a lot. Um, and I remember crying out to God to help me to stop that was a moment encounter with God wow. that was really precious for me. But a lot of dealing with maybe trauma and abuse, the roots got taken out really radically, but the mindsets and the habits and the default thinking really took me years and years. I still go to counseling today. I'm proud of that because I want to keep myself healthy as a leader, but it, it's definitely been Decades of work. <laughs> and that's been 20 years ago or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, you met Richard. How, mm-hmm. you, did, did, you guys, did you guys grow up together in South Africa? No, we didn't, Chris. We were on maybe the other side of the river in our city in Durban. Um, same city. We met each other um, during our youth days. He was a leader of his youth group at his church, and I was in my church. And we met officially at a youth camp, and then we were in college together. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And you guys started, so now we're fast forward. I think you got married, if I remember, Mm -hmm. and then you guys started like a youth movement. No, that was before we got married. That's before you got married. Kind of how we fell in love and spent time together. It was so crazy, the stories (laughs) that Richard was was telling me about some of the stories. Yeah, yeah. He's, he was a huge part of that. If you know Richard today, he's yeah. just such an incredible minister yeah. of first-time encounters with the Holy Spirit, the glory of God. When I met Rich, Chris, he didn't even know the person of the Holy Spirit. He was very evangelical and went to an incredible 120-year-old church. And as we became friends, he was really intrigued. How did I know information about people and share with them prophecy? Or how when I walked into the room, did the atmosphere change? Or when we prayed, he could feel something shift? Or how were people healed? And so through our friendship in college, that was where Rich got introduced to the Holy Spirit. One of of the dates we went on is where I would practice and show him how to you know, sees things in the spirit. He's not a seer, but he has discernment. Yeah. And 
so it was quite um, exciting the, and this adventurous. Was your, this was your dates. These, these are our dates. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, we let's went on normal dates too. Prophecy on our dates. I mean, but Chris, we had no agenda, and we weren't trying to build a ministry. So yeah. it sounds, you know, powerful. But we just were really in love with Jesus. We had fun. It's quite fun to serve God and yeah. see Him show up. So it was more, I'd say, a grassroots movement than you know something we were building. Now, how? Okay, the chronology of that, mm-hmm. you guys, but something happened where, because I know a little bit because Richard told a story when mm-hmm. I was in the room, mm-hmm. but then also because several people that are here in school ministry yeah. were impacted by your and his ministry. Yeah, yeah. And so, and that, and primarily you're, that was before you guys got married that broke out. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. What, yeah. what happened there? So in our... College. It was yeah. a secular college, just tens of thousands of people, really big public university. In South Africa. In South Africa, in our city, Durban, when we grew up, um, we were seeing, uh, it kind of happened by accident, Chris. We had a great heart of worship in our youth communities. We'd have all-night prayer meetings. We were so hungry for the Lord, but we weren't trained in the supernatural or any of the gifts. I would just read things in the Bible, didn't have a religious background, and I would try it out. And God shows up because his word is true. And so we would see, um, you know, I didn't know how to lay hands, but we know that as I read scripture, I saw that, you know, the disciples laid on hands and there was healing. So I thought, what's a weird way to lay on, you know, that sounds weird. How am I going to put my hands on people who are sick? So in our community, our friends, and it's a secular university, if someone had a headache or a stomach ache, I'd say, hey, let me rub your shoulders in like totally platonic way. And as I did that, I would pray for them and they would get healed. And so there was a reputation. If you had sickness and you want to be healed, you should go get a shoulder rub for Libby. And obviously I told them about Jesus, but I didn't understand. You know, I didn't see <laughs> a demonstration of what these things meant. Yeah. But I knew God was real. And if it happened in the Bible, it should happen today. And so we would have these things happen where people in our university and, and the schools we were going to were getting healed. And it was just really sweet, just a small group of friends who were hungry for God. And so we would preach the gospel. And then afterwards, we'd say, if you're sick, just raise your hand and God's going to heal you. And we would begin to pray and God would move so in hard. radical, radical ways. And how we chose who would preach is so we'd all get together. And we would say, you know, who put our hands, you know, kind of in the middle and then who, you know, kind of pulled their hand out the slowest, then they were the person who would get up and preach the gospel. It wasn't this calculated, you know, powerful movement. We were college kids loving God and having fun and someone would get up, preach the gospel and then the other person would give out free food to attract people. And then hundreds of people started getting saved and coming to our groups. Some high schools found out about it, Chris. And their, you know, Christian associations were maybe a little bit dry and small. And so they called Rich and invited Rich to come and speak to this Catholic girls' school. And that's really where it it was a tipping point. He went there with one of his friends, preached the gospel, and the girls got healed. I mean, one occasion, a a girl with, not a cast, what are those? Um, It's like a... It's plastic and oh, a boots, yeah, like you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
she had it on and she was a great sportswoman in her school. Everyone knew about her injury and she got healed in the meeting with Rich wow. and got so excited. She threw her crutches down and when the bell rang for school to start, she was still running up and down the stairs in the wow. high school shouting, I'm healed, I'm healed. And so the rest of the school started hearing about this. And Rich being, you know, he's a great disciple, an amazing leader. He's pretty strategic. He gathered us around and said, listen, I think God's going to move really radically. Let's do this in a group of friends. Let's take what's happening in college to wow. the schools. And I think that year I got to go back to my high school and there was 800 girls who were gathering every week, once a week in our high, in the high school I went from. And we would go once a week. Um, and see, you know, 800 girls gather every week and God started breaking out. The students started having prayer meetings and it was really radical, amazing miracles and, and great move of God. And that then started to impact our churches too. And then uh, how old were you when you got married? I was, uh, 21. 21. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't too long after that, that you you and Rich got married. No, it's hard not to fall in love in the glory. (laughs) We're praying together, you know, seeing God move. I think that's why in our school of ministry, many people get together um, because it's just, it's amazing to see God move and we really liked each other. So, yeah. You got married and how long were you married before you came here? Three, three or four years. Three or four years. Mm -hmm. You moved here and came to Bethel School, and how was the first years of that? It was really radical for me. Chris, I came out a month before Rich. Um, He was finishing up his work as an engineer in our environment. I was a pastor working Mm full-time at a church there, but we didn't really have this theology or belief that women could be key leaders. I think my gift made room for me. Snuck but, in there, yeah. But um, it, it was so. So honestly, like they didn't believe in women in in teach. You know, shall not teach or exercise authority over men. Kind of that was their structure. Yeah, I preach regularly because I have a gift of communication. But I would it had to be a prophetic preach. Couldn't be directional because I was a woman. Um, yeah, we seriously. Were, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, did you figure out how to do that? I mean, I think I just wanted to obey God. And so maybe I would, you know me, I can. So I framed it up as this is a word I'm sensing prophetically for the church. Yeah. (laughs) I have to be authentic. So um, they could take it however they wanted to take it. Yeah. But I wanted to honor them. So Mm -hmm. you came to school ministry. Yeah, I believed. And Rich did too. Same year. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he came late, supported me, was working, amazing opportunities that probably a podcast for another time yeah. with Google and Facebook and all of that. And he was stubborn and he didn't do school of ministry, but he was here to, he thought God wow. had brought us here to support me. And he, to break he never that. did do school ministry? He did it a year later. Yeah, that's what he I thought. He saw that change in my life, Chris, and saw my mindset shift around women being leaders and saw me unlocked. And I think that convinced him. So wow. he gave in. Mm-hmm. And then, so fast forward mm-hmm. to now. So you became one of our RGs, right? Mm-hmm. Revival group pastors. Mm-hmm. Women in leadership. Yeah. Let's, we got we have about well we got about seven eight minutes let's talk about okay. that okay. women leadership you came you were actually leading before you came yes. in you know incognito like un, uh, you know a secret agent woman hundred percent yeah and what do you think now how do you think about women in leadership I think it's absolutely essential I I think Chris I really wanted to serve the Lord and so even in that as a 
pastor back home as a woman, I was against women in leadership being in leadership. I suppose that's how religion works. It's a little bit hypocritical. Um, and so, I mean, while you were doing it, you were still like embracing the doctrine? Yeah, 100%. Oh, 100%. So you weren't sneaking in kind of like, I didn't agree with this, but I'll, fig- I'll figure out how to work inside of it. I think you- I felt the call of God radically on my life. And I've always wanted to be in service of God, no matter what environment I'm in. And so I just took one foot in front of the other. And then I made sure Rich maybe introduced me to show I had covering or... Um, Maybe I was suppressing that I was being so sneaky. It sounds like I was being intentional <laughs> looking back. Yeah. But, but here, the big shift took place. Sorry, to your point. Um, I was here. I saw incredible leaders who were women, who were being God. They looked free. They were whole. They didn't look like men. They weren't masculine female leaders, which I think that was a fear of mine. I'd really fought hard to embrace my femininity because I saw that as weakness before because of my abuse. And so I thought, oh, if I become a leader in the church, the only leaders I saw were men. And so I thought, oh, I'll have to, you know, embrace maybe masculinity or look like a man. man. (laughs) And I think my heart shifted because I benefited from incredible female leaders But it was only until the second year in my school of ministry that my belief system and my theology shifted. And that was the biggest, uh, I think, breakthrough for me. I took classes within our school of ministry on uh, theology of women in ministry. And we have intentional teaching around that in different weeks in school. And I think because I love the Bible so much, I could see the benefit of it. I could feel the gift that women were in the church and leadership from God, but I still had old thinking. I could argue against it based on, you know, how I was raised in the church. And I think that it it was like deliverance through truth. I remember listening to the teachings and feeling nauseous in moments or crying because no one had told me this or being, you know, you go through those of being angry that I'd missed out maybe on years and, and then breaking through into freedom and saying, God, this isn't just working experientially, but this is in your word. And then I think that's what broke the ceiling over my life. And I felt like I could be fully myself and bring my strength and and serve people as a female, but in the call of God to lead. Do you think that changed the quality of your leadership? Like, did did you feeling free and knowing the truth about women in leadership, did that change the way you led? Absolutely. I think I led apologetically previously. When I led, I would allow myself to speak up or be bold or obey God to a point. And then I would self-manage because my belief system would catch up with me that I shouldn't really be speaking into the life of a man or I'd overstepped the mark. I just wanted to serve Jesus. So I thought I didn't want to disobey him. Maybe being a woman was the thorn in my flesh and God wouldn't take that away. I would just have to manage that and hold that leadership gift back and rein it in. Yeah. And that would be worship to God. So I think when I found out that this is actually the heart of God, I remember, you know, bringing ideas and strategies to the table and speaking up or, um, yeah, being of better service to yeah. people around me because I wasn't holding myself back. Yeah. It's funny because, um, one of the things that I hear about you often because, you know, I'm obviously in 
kind of a different position in leadership. And so I have all these teams that work for me and I'm like, I know them, but not well. Yeah. And, you know, I know you personally well, yeah. but not your leadership mm -hmm. well, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're, you're leading in a, in a realm that I'm, that I'm, that I oversee, but I'm not in every day. Mm -hmm. And that people tell me all the time, like I just heard it, I heard it twice in the last month mm -hmm. that Libby's incredibly strategic because mm -hmm. I've experienced your teaching mm -hmm. and that's been amazing. Oh, thank you. But they're like, oh, do you know she's a great leader? She's incredibly strategic. She mm -hmm. knows how to build a strategic plan. And, mm -hmm. oh, that's amazing. Do you think mm -hmm. that you think women and men lead the same way? No, absolutely not. I think that's the gift, right? Male and female are created intentionally and, and with a difference. I feel like even as a mother... I've led students who I know need a touch from the father yeah. and I can carry the father's heart, but I am not a man. And yeah. so as, as a leader, it's wise for me to connect them with actual fathers yeah. who they can experience that from. I think as a mother, I carry that mother's heart of God. It's not just tender love, it's fierce and protective and strategic. When a mother wants to set up the home or provide for her family, it's powerful. You are you having strategy yes. and leadership and authority in that space. And I think when women bring that to the table, we carry a real tenderness, a love that lends itself to discipleship. But I think we we carry a strength, like that lioness goes ahead and you know, yes. we see that even around us, goes ahead and and, and gets the the prey. And then the male lions come in post that around them, I feel that I bring that to the table where as a woman, I love to make space for the people around me. And that's the mother's heart. Yes. I love to break things open and then bring people into space. And I think I have a real love and tenderness too. So I think women definitely carry that. How do, you know, there is a traditional side of maybe, I, I don't know, there's a traditional view of women mm -hmm. that in some ways is healthy yeah. in that, you know, the woman's places in a home kind yes. of like, you know, that, I that agree. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And then, but, but you do agree, but you have found a place yeah. to both shepherd your family well, mm -hmm. and then also mm -hmm. remain in leadership yeah, absolutely. and have a, a big impact in leadership. So yeah. you're not, you're not like working five hours a week and, mm -hmm. Kind of, or you know, I'm volunteering over here, which mm -hmm. is all fine, by the way. Yeah. But that's not what you're doing. No. Explain that to to me and to yeah. our to our audience. Yeah, for sure. I think, and this is unique to me. I'm yeah. friends with a lot of young mothers, yeah. and each of our journey looks so unique because we're led by God. Yeah. For mm -hmm. me personally, I have a certain amount of hours that I feel like from the Lord, I have clarity on and peace to commit yes. to working. Yes. And I have that limit. But I feel like because I have that limit, I'm actually incredible at what I do because I'm effective, I'm managing my time, I'm bringing myself to the table, I'm not wasting time because I have a huge motivation to be home. Yeah. I want to spend lavish, uninterrupted time with my two kids. I, I love them. I'm obsessed with them. I want to have my husband as my priority. And so I think because I have that gift inside of me, I feel the call of God to go into the workplace and to minister and to lead. I feel like as a, a mother in this season and a woman, my place is absolutely in the home. Yeah. And I'm convicted of that. That's my priority. And if that suffers... I love you so much, Chris. I love this house, but 
I have called by God to put my family first. Yeah. And I've lived in environments where that hasn't taken place. Yeah. And that's not an expression of the kingdom of God in my mind. But because I'm a great steward of my time and my heart and my priorities, I feel the almost I've accessed a favor in God mm -hmm. to use the time I feel like I have to invest in working or, or leading or being outside the home. I have this whole other level of anointing or effectiveness because I feel like God honors my heart and he knows that I want to be at, at home and at work. And so when I'm at work, I found I can do much more in a shorter amount of time. And I've even found a quickening from God that he, there's an acceleration on my life because he knows that I have this commitment. I can steward both. I'm trustworthy. And so I've sensed from God, um, so for example, good. maternity leave. Yeah. I'm very strict and clear, like even with myself, strict is maybe a loose word, but I um, I have uh, great boundaries with that. Yeah. And maybe people think, oh, Libby, you everywhere, and then you disappear for a little while, and, you know, I... I'm not on staff for a few months after I have a baby and I just attend church with my family. But every time I've taken maternity leave, and you wouldn't even realize this, but I've been promoted during my maternity leave where I'm not seen by everyone. I'm not in all the staff meetings. But for me, that settled the heart of a good father, that it's not my works and my effort that causes me to have open doors or promotion or be in spaces. But actually it's true. If, if you put first the kingdom of God, and for me that looks like in this season, loving my husband and loving my kids and you, being with the Lord, he really will add. He really will give wow, you your daily bread. So and as a woman, I feel like we need to know that, that being a mom doesn't hold you back or shortchange your destiny. But as you prioritize that, God will do the work for you. His grace will be sufficient and so he'll beautiful. open the doors. Yeah. Lots of people watching today. Mm -hmm. There'll be lots of women, lots of yeah. lots of moms mm -hmm. and dads, mm -hmm. you know, and some of the, you know, I, I know I know the tension because my because Kathy worked, you know, we were in business together. Yes. From the time the kids were born. Yeah. And so she had an office at home, mm -hmm. but she did all of our accounting, did worked uh, she oversaw all of our She's financial. Incredible. From the time our kids were born. Mm -hmm. So same thing there, mm -hmm. navigated. You know, I, I, well, I would say I watch you, I watch mm -hmm. her, I watch women. It's like they don't waste time. Mm -mm. You, don't, you know, if you're going to, if this is a passion of yours, mm -hmm. I, I think what you just said, you, you, you make the most of your days. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're, yeah. you do have this, these different realms that you're mm -hmm. called to be in. Mm -hmm. And so why don't you pray right now for, mm -hmm. for this? I, I love how we kind of brought this to a close because yeah. I feel like men need to hear this too because mm -hmm. it's like my wife wants to work but I, I need her I need to make sure our kids are taken care of yeah. it's like it doesn't that it doesn't have to be either or absolutely there are there are yeah. there are men and women mm -hmm. called to both yeah and yeah. so why don't you pray for I'd that I love to. Jesus we're so thankful that you are not fitting into our dreams and our life mm -hmm. and our story, but Jesus, you have called us into your life. Mm -hmm. You've called us into your story, the bigness of who you are. And we thank you that everyone watching here 
as believers, they are seated in heavenly places. Mm -hmm. They're hidden in Christ Jesus. So we declare over their lives the open heaven that's available, Mm -hmm. the unmerited favor, the strategies from the Father to do everything that's in their heart. And and we even break that lie over families, women, uh, husbands, and fathers right now that they are not called to live in either or life, Mm -hmm. but they are called into the bigness of your story in the kingdom of God. So we declare over them right now the both and Mm -hmm. that they would live in the fullness of everything you've called them to in the home and within the church and every realm that you've called them to make kingdom impact in. We thank you for your Mm -hmm. provisions and your favor and supernatural open doors as we prioritize your kingdom and we prioritize the things you've placed in front of us. Thank you that you take care of us and open every door we need in Jesus' name. That was beautiful. Libby Gordon, folks, God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, check with us every week. We'll have a new we have a new podcast up every week. Check on our social pages. We're posting nearly every day. Some I think some really cool stuff. I like got, following you. Got a great team. Mm-hmm. So uh, see you soon. See you next week. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelton.com. Have an awesome day.